Our scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the reading of the word. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have a a Bible, we do invite you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 11, beginning of verse 27. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 848, 848. Um, We we know that not all uh, dating relationships uh, make it all the way, do they? Um, When that moment comes, uh, there are sometimes explanations that people give uh, to provide that uh, the relationship is is ending. In in lieu of Valentine's, or in in light of Valentine's tomorrow, uh, here are are a few of the best breakup uh, lines that I found on the internet. Uh, God loves me, it must have a better plan for my life. Uh, I think you need someone with lower standards. I'm just not ready for a relationship with you, ever. They say good things come to those who wait, so I'm going to keep waiting. I'm sorry, but I prayed about it, and you're just not God's will for me. And the classic, it's not you, it's me. Now, maybe you've heard some of those lines before. Maybe you've used some of those slides before. <laughs> Not sure. Uh, either way, right? Uh, whether, whether you understood those things to be uh, funny or cheesy or passive aggressive or even rude, right? They, they were meant to provide some reasoning, some explanation for what the person was going to try to do, right? Some, some way to explain the rejection that they were offering. Well, in our passage today, we see Jesus being rejected in a far greater way. And his challenge, his, his authority is being challenged here. And these religious leaders were rejecting who he was. In effect, they were saying to Jesus, it's not us, it's you, right? Instead of it's not me, it's you, it's, it's not us, it, it, it's you. Uh, Dr. Danny Aiken notes that there are three reasons that we can find here in verses 27 through 33 for why Jesus was rejected. And we're going to summarize those reasons uh, with, with three, three statements or three ideas. The first is selfish ambition, willful unbelief, and number three, the fear of man. Uh, the first we find in the first two verses that were read for us, selfish ambition. Look at it again in verse 27 and 28. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? 
Now, just to kind of get us all back on the same page here in the book of Mark, this is Jesus' last week on earth. Uh, a few Sundays ago, we looked at the triumphal entry on Sunday, where we call that Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in, and we see that he, he looked at the temple, and then he went back to Bethany, and then Monday morning he came, and he cleansed the temple. We looked at that uh, last week. And then he went back to Bethany, and then Tuesday morning he came, and he cursed the fig tree. After cursing the fig tree, they saw the cursed fig tree on Tuesday morning. Well, this is still Tuesday here in verse 27, the day after Jesus cleansed the temple. So he's coming back to the temple for the third time in, in this, this week, Sunday, Monday, now Tuesday. And as he came, here come the religious leaders to confront him about his actions. And Mark gives a list of, of, of these leaders. You can see it there in verse 27. They walked in, uh, he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. That's a, a, a summarization of the, the religious leaders uh, of that time who made up a council called the Sanhedrin. Uh, these were men who were religious men who were, who were the guardians of the law, so to speak. Right? They were the leaders of the Jewish uh, religion. So the idea that these men would be um, questioning Jesus isn't actually that unreasonable. Uh, their job was to, to protect the law, right? Be, be a guardian of the law, so to speak. So it, it doesn't seem that unbelievable. And their question was, by what authority are you doing these things? What, what's the nature of your authority? And the second question, who? Who gave you this authority? What, what's the name of your authority? Who gave you the authority to do these things? Uh, the, these things would most likely immediately refer to what he had just done, that be cleansing of the temple, but it may, may involve all the things that he was doing, right? His teaching, his miracles. Who, who gave you the authority to be doing these things? Uh, John MacArthur notices that although they did not recognize the source or the legitimacy of Jesus' power, they never questioned that he had the power. Notice that. Can't, can't deny, right? You can't deny that what he was doing was, was with power and with authority. And so, um, though the, the source was questioned, the, having the power was not questioned. Uh, because of their position, like we said, they had, they had a right or responsibility to investigate. If someone's running around claiming to be Christ, if someone's running around telling people what they should or shouldn't do, they have a responsible, responsibility to, to investigate it. Right? to test false teaching or, or false prophets. That was a real responsibility in the Old Testament, Luke, Deuteronomy chapter 18. However, in this case, these leaders were not interested in actually guarding the truth. That's not what we see happening here. By what authority? Who's your authority? Wasn't about truth. Clearly, these people themselves had made the, the, the temple a den of robbers, right? They weren't actually concerned about truth. The question was not about the purity of the message of God. It was not about discerning false teaching. It was not about guarding the law. Rather, Jesus was threatening the ambitions of the religious establishments, right? Their power was being threatened. His authority was getting in the way of their order, their rejection was in some ways less theological and more about their personal aspirations. They, they wanted life a certain way and Jesus was getting in the way of it. He was messing with their way of life. This is not that uh, unrealistic. It's not that 
uncommon of a response or a, a, an uncommon re, uh, rejection. Uh, a few months ago, we looked, a few weeks ago, we looked at the rich young ruler in chapter, in chapter 10. And to summarize the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants to know how he can have everlasting life, how he can have eternal life. And Jesus tells him, talks to him about the law, and then he says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, and then come follow me. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the scriptures tell us that he goes away disappointed because he was very rich, which tells us that he, he didn't want to do that. <laughs> he didn't want to give away all of his wealth, and he was very wealthy. He wanted eternal life without the narrow way, right? The narrow path. He wanted the gift of Jesus without the way of Jesus. He wanted what Jesus offered without doing it the way Jesus commanded, right? And that's not possible. We don't get eternal life while walking on the wide or the broad road. Right? Coming to Jesus means that we let go of our selfish ambition, our self-salvation projects. We don't do it reluctantly. We don't do it out of obligation but because we find in Jesus what our soul has actually been longing for. Do you know that all of our, 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 our longings and our passions are actually revealing something about us, revealing something about what we want, this, this desire? Why do we seek position and power and authority? Why do we cling to possession and money and things? Our, our longings are revealing a need that cannot be met in this world. C.S. Lewis writes this, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this earth can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So the idea of craving or longing for things and trying to hold on to them and those things clearly not being able to satisfy is meant to say to us, they can't satisfy. There's only one way to be satisfied with those things. So here these religious leaders are trying to hold on to their ambition, right? They think that's what's going to fulfill them. And Jesus, to come to Jesus, we must abandon our ambitions. The leaders' questions about authority were not genuine inquisition to better understand Jesus. They weren't asking honest questions. They weren't really trying to understand Jesus. They didn't really want to believe it said they were trying to, to catch Jesus saying something that they could label blasphemous so they could, back in verse 18, destroy him. That's what this was about. It wasn't about understanding Jesus. It wasn't about understanding his authority in order to believe. It was in order to destroy. But Jesus would not play their games. So this leads to verse 29, where Jesus presents a counter question. And in doing so, exposes more of the reason for their rejection. Look at verse 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. The, the counter question, um, Jesus counters their, their question with a question. Now, some of us don't always like when people do that, um, but this was actually a, a rabbinical debate technique. Jesus actually did this back in chapter 10 when they were asking him about marriage. He, he answered their question with another question. Uh, those who, Danny Aiken writes this, those who come to Jesus in, with hostile intention never receive a direct answer. 
Jesus knows our hearts, so he knows whether it's hostile or not. Jesus' question was not to be evasive here. It's to expose their, their hearts. The question was about the source of John the Baptist's ministry, right? Was it from heaven or was it from man? Uh, by presenting this question, Jesus was indicating really the answer to the authority as his ministry and John's ministry were alike. Here are a couple ways they were alike. Neither John nor Jesus had studied in rabbinical school. Neither John nor Jesus had been endorsed or ordained by Jerusalem authorities. Both Jesus and John had been accepted as prophets by the people. So Jesus is, has a, a similar ministry to John the Baptist. And so he says, what about John? What, what do you believe about John? Here, Jesus presented the question and he calls for an answer. But he says, answer me. That, 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 that might not come off as well in, in, in our day, but that, that's a sharp demand, right? He's calling for an answer to his question. You, you, sh tell me what you think about this. Tell me about, about what this is. In, in asking this question, Jesus was not only implying his source of authority, uh, of who he was, which he's gonna do more of in chapter 12 through a parable, but also he was putting the leaders in a dilemma. And they knew it. They knew that they were stuck. Look at verse 31. And they had discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven that John the Baptist's ministry was from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Verse 32. But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they all held that John was really a prophet. James Montgomery Boyce says, to acknowledge that John's ministry was from God was to admit the authority of Jesus. The source of the authority was the same. And so he's, he's putting them into a corner, basically. That, that either way they go, answering yes or no to this question is going to reveal something about them. It, it, it's forcing the issue. There was evidence to the source of John the Baptist's ministry that was available for them to know, but the leaders would not embrace it. They would not believe it. They remained willfully in their unbelief. The evidence was available. They would not receive it. And when we come to something already with an unbelieving heart, one pastor says this, unbelief swallows up the evidence. So if I start off saying that's untrue from, from the start, then whatever evidence comes my way, my unbelief will just swallow up that evidence. We can see that in, in, in today as well, right? We can see that today. If we have a presupposition that something is not true, even the evidence to, to the contrary, we we've, already, we've already confirmed it. So we will look for confirmation of what we already believe. They're not coming with an open heart to see what this evidence is and to genuinely, honestly evaluate the evidence. No, the issue was not about the evidence. The issue was about the heart. You've heard this said before, but the heart of any problem is a problem of the heart. And so it is with many today. The evidence for Jesus, for his authority, for who he is, for what he did is available. It is available. The question is, will we honestly evaluate the evidence? Will we humble ourselves enough to accept it? Will we believe? Jesus' opening words to his public ministry was the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Humble yourself, recognize that you don't know everything, recognize that you're an enemy of God, 
and believe the gospel, believe the truth about Jesus. See, coming to Christ includes turning from sin and self and trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so just at this moment, we just wanna say, will you do that? If you've never done that before, if you're still in rejection of Jesus this morning, will, will you repent and believe? Will you humble yourself this morning and believe? Will you see Jesus for who he is? Some people who have oppositions to Christianity have come to those conclusions because they've read about the opposition to Christianity, but they've never read the actual reasons why Christianity is true, the, the other side, right? You do realize there's another side, right? Usually there, there is two sides to every story. Have you honestly considered the evidence for Jesus in Christianity? If you're here today, you have doubts, you have questions, that's fine, the Bible's big, God is big, God can handle your doubts, he can handle your questions, it's okay to ask questions. We're not saying, shut up and just believe it. No, investigate, read, pray, think, yes, ask questions. But ask the right questions, look at the right places for the answers, and consider all the evidence. Maybe you need to read a book like Case for Christ, or The Reason for God, or Evidence Demands a Verdict, or other books that will help communicate an understanding of, of the truth of Christianity, the truth of Jesus. These leaders would not honestly consider the evidence. And so if you're sitting here today and you're, you're rejecting Jesus, you don't, you, don't, you don't think it's true. My question to you is just simply, have you considered all the evidence? Not what did your Sunday school teacher say, not what did your parents say or the pastor say, but, but have you personally considered all the evidence? Consider that first before you come to a conclusion about Jesus. Well, there's still one more reason that we can see here in this passage for their rejection. And it comes in verses 32 and 33. Look at 32 again. But shall we say from man, for they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. They feared the people. We saw this actually back earlier in this chapter, that they were afraid of the people. Now, one poll done by Gallup, uh, Gallup Research, uh, found that the top fears of people uh, were number five, spiders and insects. Number four, being enclosed in a small place. Number three, heights. Number two, public speaking. And number one, snakes. Maybe you can relate with some of those. Um, however, another research was done last year after 2020. And it found that the top five were the following. Number five, terrorism. Number four, not having enough money for retirement. Number three, mass shootings. Number two, loved ones becoming seriously ill. And number one, loved ones dying. Spiders were at 12, spiders were at 28, and snakes were at 12. I think our fears have changed over the past few years. Now, whether or not you can relate with all of those fears or not, fear is real. We can all agree on that. We've all experienced it one way or another. Specifically though, here, these, these men were dealing with the fear of man. Proverbs 28 verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. The fear of man can control us. It can cause us to, to not do what we should do or do what we should not do. And here the religious leaders recognize the other side of their dilemma. If we say this, then these people are going to rise up. If they were to say John the Baptist's ministry was from, from man, the people might have a, an uprising against them. 
right? Because these people, what? They rightly concluded that John was a prophet. Luke chapter 20, verse 16 says that the leaders feared that all the people will stone us to death. Right? They had a, a, a pretty plausible and rational fear that it could go badly for them. They were controlled by the fear of man. Fear prevented them from answering Jesus honestly and coming to Christ fully. The fear of man is a real thing. It's a real thing that many of us deal with, right? What will they think of me if? If anybody knew that about me, what would they think of me? I, I, I want others to think well of me. I want others' approval. I can't handle being humiliated in front of others. So we want, we want to save face. Like the fear of man is powerful and it is crippling because, because of fear, we, we don't do what we should do in order to appease someone else. When we live by the fear of man, we live to please man and not to please God. Ephesians chapter six, verse six talks about obeying earthly masters. It says, not in the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The fear of man affects many of us. The question is, how is it affecting you? We see how it's affecting the, the religious leaders. They, they were rejecting Jesus. They weren't able to ask, answer honestly or evaluate honestly because of their fear of other people. It kept them from him. Is it keeping you from him? The rest of the book, uh, rest of Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. One theologian writes, fear is anticipation that something terrible may happen to us. Fear is a positive thing when it helps us avoid dangerous situations. It's good to teach your children to be afraid to run out into the street. But fear is negative when it keeps us from doing something we know to be right or moves us to do something we know to be wrong. Everyone will fear. How we handle it is what counts. Tim Chester, in his book called You Can Change, recommends that instead of fearing man, or the way that we deal with our fear of man is to see God as glorious. That, that we, when we fear man, instead of fearing man, we should imagine our fear and then imagine God behind our fear. And to say, who are you afraid of now? That, that person, that situation, is, is that so powerful in light of who God is? C.H. Spurgeon says it this way, unregenerated fear drives us from God Gracious fear drives to God. If I fear man, I have only to trust God and have the best antidote. A proper fear of God not only frees us from the fear of man, but draws us close to God himself. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to get our fears in order, right? We need a reclamation of a proper fear of God. That doesn't mean we, we run around um, fretting that God's going to destroy us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to live with that kind of fear of God, but we live with a, a healthy respect and reverence and awe for who he is. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has a vision in chapter six. 
and he sees the throne room of God. And when he sees that, he, 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 he concludes that he is a sinner. He, he, is, he is undone. He is in need of help. He, he, can't, he can't stand before this God, which he is right. Only through atonement, we find that passage, could he ever stand before God. Well, these leaders, based on their fear, rejected Jesus, and they claimed ignorance to the question. Right? Verse 33, they answered Jesus, we do not know. They do not know. We do not know really means we will not believe, right? J.C. Ryle calls this dishonesty within their own souls. They knew. They knew. That's why they wouldn't answer the question. They knew. And so to try to get out of it, they refused to answer the question. But by refusing to answer the question, what did they do? They answered the question. They answered the question. Men love darkness rather than light. They, they chose not to believe the evidence, but to stay in their unbelief. Whereas believing something does not make it true, so too not believing something doesn't make it untrue, right? So these religious leaders denying this didn't mean it was actually true. Neither does it mean that if you and I just say this is true, that means it is true. We can choose what we believe, but we cannot choose what is and is not actually true. Some things are true whether you believe them or not, right? And here the, the, the authority of Jesus, the divine authority of Jesus being one of those, right? To their, their rejection and to their unbelief, Jesus says to them in verse 33, that neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And Jesus has, has, has exposed them, right? He has revealed that their rejection of him is not on any actual merits. It's about their selfish ambition. It's about their willful disbelief. It's about their fear of others. They rejected the evidence. They were not operating in, in, in faith, but rather fear. Uh, Danny Aiken uh, writes this statement, kind of summarizing what Jesus' argument was writing as though this, these were Jesus' words. My claim to authority is based on the possibility of a divine authoritative ministry given directly by God without human endorsement. John the Baptist is a perfect example, universally affirmed by the people. Now, if you are unwilling to grant my premise and accept the evidence that I have put before you, then, you are, then we are at an impasse and we have nothing further to talk about. If you cannot judge the ministry of John based on the evidence, then you are not qualified to judge me either. Your willful blindness condemns you. So, so in, in effect, Jesus is saying, the evidence is there. You can't actually claim ignorance on this. You can't claim it. And what we come to know in the Bible is that God has given us evidence of his existence and that we can't, we can't claim ignorance about that either. The question in verse 28 was actually a legitimate question. By what authority are you doing these things? That's a legitimate question if they asked it honestly. Who, who's your authority? If they ask it honestly. Because listen, if Jesus does not have authority, let's play this out. If Jesus doesn't have the authority, if no one's ever given him authority, then we're our own master, right? Then we get to call the shots that he has no business coming into the temple and telling those, those, those money changers to, to get out. 
He has no business saying to me, I, I have to change my life. I have to do something different if he doesn't have the authority to do so. But if he does have the authority, if he does have the authority, then guess what? We are responsible. That we are accountable to him. Well, the truth is that Jesus does, in fact, have all authority. After Jesus rises from the dead, before he goes back to the Father, he gathers his disciples, and he says to them in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. From who? God the Father. Jesus, in fact, does have the authority. So to do the question, by what authority? By the authority of God himself, Jesus does these things. By the authority of God himself, he says these commands. He calls these people to repentance. He heals the sick. And so we ask ourselves, and I ask you this morning, how about you? If Jesus does have authority over all things in heaven and on earth, then guess who that means he has authority over? You and me. It means he actually calls the shots. It means we don't, stand, we don't stand in judgment of God. We don't stand in judgment of Jesus. How, how dare we stand in judgment of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Who do we think we are? If he has all authority, then he calls the shot. Then he has the authority. Then we submit to him. We don't resist him. We don't resist his word. Now maybe you have been. Maybe you've been resisting. Maybe even questioning whether or not God has the, the right to tell me anything. Maybe some of these, these reasons you have, you have yourself. Reasons for rejecting. Maybe you, you want something that God doesn't want for you. Maybe you've seen enough, but you don't want to believe it. Put your fingers in your ears. Or maybe you're afraid of what it'll actually mean if Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you're afraid of what people will think of you. The invitation today is to see Jesus for who he is, the Son of God who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the forgiver of sins, the Redeemer Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If we confess in our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've yet to come to Christ, maybe you've been sitting on the side, kind of questioning, kind of looking, hear now the word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Christian read for us Philippians chapter 2, the beginning of the service. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That does not mean that everyone will be saved. It means that everyone will admit that Jesus actually is who he says he is. So our question is, will, will we wait till then before it's too late? Or will we now decide? Will we commit now to bow our knee? Will we look at the evidence honestly and evaluate who this Jesus is and what he has done and will we live without fear of man, but in the fear of God and walk in faith, trusting Christ in Christ alone? Let's pray.
Lord, you know the hearts of each one who are here this morning. Only you know if we, as we sit here this morning, are trusting in Christ alone. Only you know if if we've committed ourselves fully to you. We are reminded that many will say on that last day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things? Yet, Father, you're not asking for those things. You're calling us to repentance and to faith. And so, Father, I pray this morning that those who have yet to come to Christ, they even as we sit here, even as they sit in that pew, that they would turn to you in repentance and faith. They would admit their sinner. They would admit that they've been rejecting who you are and what you've done. They would see Jesus as the Savior they need. They would repent and believe in Christ, in Christ alone for their salvation. For those who've, who have come to Christ, those who are trusting in you, God, I pray that you would help us, even this week, to walk in faith, to guard us from, from, from doubting you, guard us from the fear, guard us from living for ourselves instead of for Christ. Would you help us by grace? Would you help us by grace to live for you this week? For our good, for the glory of your name. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.